Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. Big day today, everybody. Mark and I are kicking off yet another pod venture, one we're very excited about, and also one that if you're watching on YouTube, you might even be really excited about, because look at the firepower that we are working <laughs> with uh, on the table in front of us. Uh, this, I mean, I'm not even going to go through and name drop everything because we, it'd take too long to, to do all that. We'll, we'll get through all these guns in a bit. But on the other side of that tremendous amount of firepower, we have Mr. Nick Loffenberg, who's been on a member of podcast before, and Justin Lipska, who's one of the instructors down at Vortex Edge. And uh, Justin, we don't get you on enough. Yeah, I'm kind of sequestered down there at the range. <laughs> so coming out of my shell, so to speak. That's right. So. That Yeah, and, and we all know that you're a very talkative person. Yes, extremely so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the uh, the name of the game for this overall pod venture will be long range slash precision shooting. Mark and I are thinking about trying out some form of competitive outlet within that discipline. Something something neither of us have done before. Something quite out of character. Which us, is kind of why we have this the smattering of long range centric rifles. Right. Pointed away from us, which I think is actually a smart choice. Yeah, now they all have chamber flags and yeah, before people done all that. You know. And they're all strategically pointed around people. Uh, but anyway, some of the guns on the table I don't know, I don't want to go out I I don't want to say that you can't use any of these guns in competition. It's possible that you could. Uh, competition is a big part of this whole pod venture, but I think that just long-range precision stuff in general, very popular nowadays. Everybody's looking for a way to get out and do something fun, interesting, try something new. And uh, I've seen, I feel like, the long-range precision stuff really coming into its own, like more and more people getting into it, which is awesome. And, of course, everybody's favorite part of the whole thing. I mean, maybe not everybody, but you're weird if you're not part of this uh this group of people. <laughs> it, the favorite part is the gun. It's so exciting. It's cool. It's this new piece of machinery. It's this new tool. It's it's the sexy thing that's going to get you likes on Instagram when you post pictures of it after you buy it. Well, and like you said, Jim, there's long range is so popular, right? People are so interested that the technology and the ballistic calculators, but it really translates over to so many. It's not like long range shooting is just like a gun like Nick's PRS gun now. Like, it is so broad now, and you can apply it to so many different genres of shooting or hunting. The gun is kind of like, pick your poison. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this is like this gun on the table, the sequence. Like, this is a, this is has a lot of long range attributes, right? But it's a lightweight hunting rifle, right? You know, conversely, you got the Barrett, what do we got here? The mm-hmm. MRAD. Yep. A little bit different. Yeah, not exactly a lightweight hunting gun. So anyways, Nick and Justin, you're here. You guys have experience in all sorts of different, uh, between you guys, all sorts of different shooting disciplines in, in the long-range precision area. Nick, you with the competitive shooting, a lot of hunting in your background. Justin, uh, give us a refresher too, again, yeah. because you're not on as many podcasts as Nick gets to be on. So remind everybody of who you are and, and what your background yeah. in uh, these types of things is. Uh, absolutely. Not so much the competition side um, anymore, really. But again, my background's coming from the military side of things, uh, long-range military. I was a Special Forces sniper instructor out in uh, Colorado with 10th Group out there. So that's cool. kind of my background with these. Yeah. So very, pretty good. Very understated. <laughs> we got through that in about yeah 10 yeah. seconds. So, that yeah. certainly has about 10-plus uh, podcasts <laughs> now, in and of themselves worth of stories behind it. The thing, uh, like getting to know and knowing Justin, that's actually that's the long-form version. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. I'm actually surprised at the level of detail you went into. <laughs> so, but we, we brought this mixture of people in then we have you know again uh, mark you with your hunting background you've hunted in lots of different areas with a number of different rifles and stuff like that uh me i've just kind of just been the recreational occasionally plinking around i, I like weird, pretty good Jim. i like weird guns you know what i mean I'm a weird gun guy but this mixture of people we feel like can can give us an idea of when somebody's thinking about long-range preci- precision there's a lot of different guns that you can look into choose from and Certain attributes of certain guns may apply better to a certain oh, use case than others. So, for example, I mean, on the table again, like I said, this is too too many to really go through. We've got some guns that are maybe more suited towards hunting 
but we're going to go into why those guns may not be your ideal choice for a PRS match. And then we're also going to talk with Justin here a little bit about what is it about the military or maybe even law enforcement sniper that makes their setup different from your competitive shooting setup or, again, your hunting setup. What, what are the things about these guns that make them good at what they do? So... This is the problem. We always jump right in, and then we're like, "Where do we start?" <laughs> um, let's start. Let's start more on the on the private citizen side of things. Then we'll, okay. we'll morph our way into the more professional duty use of a, of a long range precision rifle. How about how about hunting, Mark? Let me throw you a bone here. You're the guy who always likes to talk about hunting. What if we start with hunting? Well, now I should have brought the old three. I said, let's bring the wisdom over here. And now you told me not to bring it. Now I wish I had it. But we got this guy instead, which actually, if you're talking about long range hunting, a rifle configured similar or like the Seekins to me is like kind of a perfect blend of some long range attributes, but it's still lightweight. It's easy to carry. It's handy. Points quick. You can use it in, you know, you're not like, oh, why am I lugging this boat anchor around the mountains, but it's still going to give you what you need. And I think also the type of, okay, I'll speak in generalities, right? But for hunting, like taking a 1,200-yard shot is maybe not as practical a need as like if you're in a PRS competition or in just in some of Justin's professional work, perhaps. So I look at a gun like this and I say, cool, like probably... You know, you put throw numbers out there as far as like what the limit should be. Um, I'm always hesitant to do that. I know because it's different for everyone. It's different for everybody, right? There's so many times out there where people are like, "Oh yeah, 400 yards. You shouldn't. That's my yeah. limit for shooting games." So everyone's like, "Oh well, you can't shoot a deer beyond 400 yards." It's like, well, there's actually some people who shouldn't even try shooting a deer at 400 yards, and there's some people who can absolutely shoot a deer further than 400 yards. Right. So. I'll and add some more color to I, your thank you, commentary. Jim. No, I mean that was a really great way to put it. And then also, like from uh, situations you encounter, or at least situations that I've personally encountered, I oftentimes don't have a need to shoot beyond like beyond 600 yards. I'd say most of the stuff that I've shot has been inside 600. One outlier, uh, I shot a moose at 733 which oh, yeah. was a pretty long shot, dropped it right in the pocket, moose ran 20 yards, tipped over, perfect conditions, perfect cartridge for the job, like everything was perfect to execute that shot, and I was super comfortable executing that shot. I think I've told that story before a little bit, but that was actually one, gym where I had the 300 Wisdom with me, <laughs> with an LHT, didn't have a bipod, wasn't expecting to have to take a shot that long. This moose came out, we built a position with our packs, and I ended up uh, not being comfortable. Like, I was wobbly. I just was, like, not steady enough. I'm like, you know, like, I don't, I think I would have hit it. I don't want to, you know, break this shot and have just a mess on our hands. I ended up using my buddy's rifle. It was perfectly set up for the situation, and I got rock steady. And, like. Well, a guy like Nick would tell you, you should have had a heavier gun with a rear bag and a big <laughs> bipod and all this weight in the forehand. And then you would have been steady as a rock. Well, I will say my buddy's gun was a heavier gun. <laughs> it was a Fearded Ultra Meg. It did have a bipod and it was rock steady. And I was like, that moose actually, we're fortunate enough, it came back out of the, um, came back out into basically the exact same opening. And I got down on the gun. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can kill him right now. And like, yeah, felt like yeah. super confident. So anyway. Where I was going with that, though, is oftentimes you just don't have a need. You have a need to shoot far, but not that far, right? So that's where a gun like this is fully capable. It kind of has all the, all the things that you need to do that job. Yeah. Now, okay, Nick's also got his hunting gun here, too, so we can, we can discuss that a little bit. I'm sure I'm going to go out on a limb and say Nick's hunting gun is, is probably a bit more like a PRS competition <laughs> heavy bull, you know, gun than would your hunting gun be. Very Nick. <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for the people who are just listening, I just picked Nick's just gun Just attempted up. to. Let's, uh, uh, let's clarify on that. This is just short of 14 pounds, so uh, it's not super heavy. For Mark. Nick, that's ultralight. That's that's my that's one of my ultralight rigs. Featherweight. We yeah. live in different headspaces. So what are guys pushing now? Like seven pounds? You want a hunting rifle about seven pounds or less right now in the ultralight world? Justin, I think if the word seven is coming, if that's the first number out of your mouth and you're talking about some ultralight hunting gun, you're you're <laughs> you're in the next zip code. I mean, <laughs> what are what they is, talking unless about? They, what is unless Dave's they, ultralight gun? That's like it's four, like pounds. Five, four pounds. I think it's about five pounds. But that's like five with pounds. scope, 
with rings, with scope, with, with suppressor. That with barrel on there is 16 and a half inch. Crazy. Little pencil barrel yeah. with a titanium suppressor and all this. <laughs> I will pick. say. I mean, he's got, I mean, he hoofs it like 60 miles in the right. mountains. So, I mean, there's that, but. I would so, rather hoof that 60 miles than one of these. I can yeah, yeah, without yeah, a doubt. Yeah. But then again, we're talking about like different applications, different right. price points and things like that. Mm-hmm. So again, how much was it? Four it's like four five pounds. pounds Jeez. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah. <laughs> but no. I mean, okay, so I mean, and actually I'll say this for me personally, and it's like, every, it's what you like. That's too light for me. Like yeah. I, I feel like I want a little bit heavier gun, you know, somewhere between the, like a total weight between like seven and nine, I feel yeah. like is a good. Yeah. But what, what you're ultimately getting into though. So there are, there are, you know, it, there's there's arguments around it, around the whole topic of quote, long range hunting, which is one of those things that can be it can vary greatly depending on who you are, where you are, what you're seeing, uh, what you're shooting, all that stuff. But but let's just let's just discuss long range hunting rifles or precision hunting rifles, stuff like that here for for a bit. Why are they different from what somebody is using in say PRS competition or even professional duty use? Because it, when you really when you boil it down, I mean, I think some of us can know intuitively a few of the answers. Like light lightweight is what we've been t- discussing a lot. But but why are they that much different? This gun, the Seekins Havoc here, looks dramatically different than Nick's PRI rifle on this Barrett MRAD. What is it about that application that I mean, when you're shooting PRS and when you're a sniper, you want to be accurate. You want to put shots where you want them to go. You're going to be moving a little bit. At least, I'm sure snipers even probably move a bit, uh, almost as much or more sometimes than a regular hunter would with their rifle. What is it about these things? Why do they make them this way? So when I look at this gun again, the Seekins, for example, there's a lot of other examples, you know, as well. But like you said, Jim, accuracy is paramount. Like you're not going to have long range without accuracy. So the gun has to be accurate. Like that's just that's a baseline need. But looking at the stock of this guy, and maybe I'll hold it up a little bit here, you know, you've got more of a, you know, kind of a precision rifle, you know, whatever, tactical quotation mark. I'm making quotation marks with one hand because I'm holding the rifle with the other. Uh, configuration, you got a higher cheek comb. You've got, you know, kind of the, the pistol grip-ish down here and the flat uh, forend, right? Yeah. Um, actually, you've got, you know, the cups here, the, the sling uh, cups there. So to me... Along with its accuracy, that's kind of what makes it configured or set up, you know, a little bit more optimally for, like, long range. Right. But on the flip side, though, the same gun, I'd be comfortable hunting in the timber and, you know, whatever, Blacktail gets up at 50 yards and looks at you, you know, boom, you got him. You know, it's still going to be a great gun for that as well. So it kind of has to, what you're getting at is that it has to accomplish a bigger variety of tasks. Like, when you're in competition... You kind of know. You don't know what every stage is going to look like, I'm imagining. But you kind of generally can tell that you're going to do some of the similar stuff. Right. I, I need to know what, what I'm going to have to do, uh, what the rifle is going to have to be capable of. Yeah. So, like, one of the biggest things for me, weight is obviously a factor. You know, we in, in like, PRS-type competition, whether it be PRS, NRL, Border Wars, whatever you're shooting, uh, a lot of guys are shooting very heavy rifles, small six millimeter cartridges they don't recoil much and the reason why you do that is when you shoot you want to see where your bullet goes mm-hmm. um so the less the gun recoils the easier it is to keep that splash in your field of view the easier it is to take an accurate follow-up shot and the weight is essentially mitigating that recoil correct now more important to me than actual weight um, or making the gun heavy is making the gun balanced so like this my hunting rifle right here this hunting rifle is like perfectly balanced. I got a, this is a McMillan Game Warden adjustable stock with sniper fill. Uh, and with this, this is a... What's um, the sniper, sniper fill? fill? Yeah, that sounds that sounds cool. I just it's, want it. It's, it's called sniper it's fill. It's actually heavier fill. Like, so the stock is heavier than, like, you can get edge fill, which is a, a lighter weight stock. And then hmm. there's the carbon fiber ones and stuff. I don't want the weight, but I want to say that I got sniper fill. <laughs> <laughs> So, Nick, when you're talking about balance, where do you want that balancing point at? I want it to be between, like, three and six inches forward of the magwell. So, if I'm shooting off of anything besides prone position, I want to be able to set the forend on that structure, whether it be a stump, whether it be a tree limb, whether it be a top of a fence post, and I want the gun to be able to just 
sit there and balance. Because yep. mm-hmm. when I'm trying to manipulate the gun, I don't want to be inducing a bunch of um, muscle pressure in the rear or on the forend to actually get the gun to sit there steady. I want the gun to be doing most of the work. Yeah. And so with this rifle, I, I can put it up on just about anything with a lightweight bag. And, you know, I've, I've taken out of the outdoor range, I've taken shots out to, well, we had the thousand yard. Um, I shot just a little bit under an eight inch group off of a stump. Wow. So this rifle is extremely capable in the way it's set up. It's it's definitely my favorite rifle, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Uh, Isaiah Curtis, that, you guys met Isaiah, obviously. Oh, yeah. Uh, he built this rifle for me, and um, I it's literally my favorite gun. Is mm-hmm. that is part of that because it is so versatile? It is extremely versatile. I can do anything with that gun. Yeah. You could probably shoot a match with that gun, I mean, right? Uh, yeah. Yep. It's, not, this, it's not set up, obviously, the same as your full-on competition gun. Nope. But, I mean, that you took a lot of elements out of, out of your competition gun. I feel like in or, in order to set that gun up the way that you wanted it for hunting, and I feel like that's what we're seeing more and more now with these long range precision hunting rifles. Is that people are taking some of the attributes, um, even light, even super lightweight Dave with his five pound rifle, it still has a pistol style grip, right? It's a carbon fiber stock and all that, but it has an upright grip, not that Monte Carlo style or something like that. But they're they're taking those attributes and putting them in these kinds of rifles because I think they're finding that there are uh, there are you know a select few really important things that you can add to one of these guns without without taking away or without giving it too much weight. But then also I feel like one of the big things with hunting rifles still is kind of in the looks department. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean I think sure. there's still a lot of weight that people put into that weight uh, being not determined in relation to actual uh, mass times gravity or whatever, but. <laughs> There's a lot of there's a lot of stock people put into now I'm using now another geez, term. Jim, okay. <laughs> Line them up. Uh, okay. <laughs> Importance that people put into how a hunting rifle looks too. Cuz if you go and you make it you make it too much look like one of these super tactical or super competition guns, then you lose that bit of nostalgia or something around. You really uh, you really made your case there, Jim. <laughs> uh, I think I read that all in a magazine. Um, but no, I think you're right. I mean, I think they're, like, I, I keep using this as an example because I have it in front of me for hunting, right? But it's got some of those features, but it still, to me, looks and feels like a hunting rifle to where maybe some of these, and actually yours, this one of yours, Nick, here, does as well. Mm-hmm. This one, not so much. It it doesn't mean that somebody shouldn't hunt with it. If that's right. what they want to hunt with, they totally should. Like, if that's what you're, I mean, like, knock yourself out. Like, I'm right. the last person to say, like, well, you shouldn't hunt with that because it looks, you know, who cares, well, right? If you don't mind lugging a 24-pound rifle, I can guarantee be a very effective hunter with that. Damn right. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, don't want to carry it. Yeah. Uh, well, that being said, because you were mentioned while, like, uh, shooting blacktails, like, at 50 yards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to use the term, like, jump shooting. But, again, you could shoot standing offhand, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, where some of these other rifles that are a little bit heavier may have a little bit difficult time actually you know, shooting standing offhand. Yeah, you really have to modify your your shooting abilities with this gun over this gun. I mean, holding this up um, from a standing position is way easier than holding up that my my comp rifle, without a doubt. I mean, people can shoot you know offhand with a comp rifle. I I, I can't, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I can do it a lot better with my my hunting rifle. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, like, there's places out there now that make super lightweight chassis, right? Mm-hmm. But you yeah. still just don't see them that often on hunting guns, and I, and part of me wonders if it's just that slow to adopt because of a lot of tradition I've, in the hunting I, rifles. And not that there's a problem with that, because I've got a Browning BLR lever gun as my hunting gun, even though I think that these precision guns are super cool, and I got it because it's a freaking lever gun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I want to hunt with a lever gun, and I want to have it be stainless and take down and all that because like. In my mind's eye, that just is a hunting rifle. Right. right. There's no two ways about it. And it's it's not right or wrong. Like, and again, I'll speak just personally, but that like that looks like in like in place where some of these others. And again, it's based completely off aesthetics, which maybe doesn't have any sort of logical reasoning behind it. But it just seems out of place for me. Same thing with my hunting rifle. It's a walnut stock. <laughs> 
Yeah. So with and the swept grip and yeah. Yep. So I mean, yeah, and with everything you've done in in your previous job experience and all that, like I, I'm <laughs> guessing when you're out in the sandbox, not many people no, are carrying around no. walnut stock. <laughs> no. Remington 700s or something like that. I love talking about Justin's previous job experience. Like, so never, like, tell me about a time where you were challenged and came, <laughs> overcame <laughs> adversity. Yeah, I'm sure you have a few stories actually yeah. for that. Um, but I guess the the funny thing about starting with hunting is in in this in the series of this episode here is that there's sort of the quintessential hunting rifle. Mm-hmm. Kind of mentioned a few things, you know, Woodstock, or I've got like for me it's a lever gun, you know, and for you, Mark, it's a 300 wisdom and all this stuff. But every single gun here on the table you could hunt with. Oh, yeah. Because in the end, they all send a round down range that anything living wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of, at least in an ideal world. And they do it accurately. And they do it accurately. So you kind of can hunt with anything you want. It just sort of depends. And that's actually kind of the beauty and the fun of hunting. Because you bring up, okay, 50 yards in the timber, blacktail, pops out from behind a tree out of nowhere you're not ready for it you got to make that engagement 733 yard moose off of a backpack up high you know somewhat somewhat high angle sheep super high angle where you're on a mountain and you got to like get into this crazy position whitetail out of a you know blind or something like that at 200 yards you could encounter anything you could have had to hike in 60 miles you could have had to hike in six feet six (laughs) feet (laughs) i mean it's like it could be anything and so, therefore, yeah. it's kind of hard for any of us to say, this is the hunting rifle. Right, right. And I think, you know, for a lot of those different situations, there's folks that want to have, oh, this is my long-range deer antelope gun, or this is my this is my timber gun, or this is my, you know, oh, yeah. Midwest whitetail gun. For me, I, I, I kind of fall into, uh, and some of it's just, you know, budgetarily, right? But I kind of want to have one gun that I know really well, that I shoot a lot, that I'm familiar with, so it's kind of autopilot a little bit yeah. when you when you get out. Yeah. That's why you prefer that uh, 300 Wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a 30 cal fire breather. If you have that, you can pretty much hunt anything in North America. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay. Well, there's our, there's our thing about hunting. I'm sure we'll get back to these. But What about you, Justin? With your work and kind of like what you see in, you know, guns like of this style, like... Where do you see the crossover? The crossover? Yeah. Um, so uh, definitely kind of with the angle, like Jimmy was talking about earlier, um, kind of more of that vertical um, instead of that swept. Um, and then a couple other things we're going to kind of look at. Um, one is um, configuration um, and adaptability to that shooter. So again, adjustable comb height is really nice. Okay. Um, so you can kind of work that on the fly. Maybe you're in a different position. Uh, Nick can probably attest to that. <laughs> You know, uh, prone position, you may be uh, having a little bit of a modified position than, say, you might be standing or, you know, um, some other alternate positions. So, um, given the time to be able to adjust that is really nice. Uh, so, the comb height, the length of pull as well. Oh, okay. Um, because, again, uh, different positions require, obviously, just a little bit different setup. Again, you know, time dependent and things like that. Other things, um, again, that this kind of... Uh, has as well you can put uh, the bipod on it you know same thing with any other gun i view bipods as almost like a necessary piece of equipment and uh, a lot of people don't like sandbags and for me it's like well if you don't use a sandbag it's kind of like not using a bipod type of thing Hmm. Um, so kind of talking about that as well also rail space and uh, real estate for the gun itself so for example uh, when we talk about real estate for this Baird, for example, we have all this uh, available top rail space. So if you do need a mount, maybe like a clip-on night vision or a thermal or something like that, you have that space to do so. Um, side rails. So if you have like, an, a laser, uh, like a laser on there, an illuminator, uh, all those little add-ons and accessories um, to kind of uh, you know, increase your capability, so to speak. Correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, but this is, this is a full monolithic rail too. So you could mount an optic even forward if, and, and without having like a point of impact yeah. shift if you want. Absolutely. To. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I see like what you're you don't saying. There's no, a, uh, there's no split here. Yeah, there's no split in the chassis. And the chassis is connected all the way down to the receiver. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Well, Justin, maybe we should just further go into the yeah. whole idea of a sniper rifle. Now there's, again, like we when we were talking about hunting, there are different scenarios that hunting can take place in and with sniper rifles there are different scenarios there you got your law enforcement sniper in an urban environment might not 
ever even take a shot over 100 yards, maybe 200 yards, something Absolutely. like that. Then you've got your sniper way out in a desert somewhere that may see longer shots much more frequently. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, that's going to vary. But but what? Well, con- uh, and then conversely, you know, you talk about different environments. Like I would imagine, if you're in the jungle versus the desert, like you may pick a different firearm. Yes or no? So everything. What's kind of interesting because everything we have on this table is a bolt gun. Um, I don't see mm. any gas guns here. Yeah. Um, so kind of talking about what you mentioned earlier was target engagements. So statistically speaking, I put that in air quotes again, just because statistics are just that, right? Just a number. Statistically speaking, as up to like a year or so ago, the average sniper engagement was 59 yards. Wow. So Whoa. that's it. And that's law enforcement stateside. But again, you're talking about the furthest shot, you know, military uh, overseas. It's well over, I think, 2,000. Oh, okay. It gets, you know, pretty crazy. Uh, We're seeing a lot more departments and agencies stateside, law enforcement, actually going to gas guns. Um, One, they're going to be a little bit shorter. Two, uh, the application really doesn't need anything like this, this Barrett. You know, um, again, you may have uh, that Murphy's Law, and you do have to take that farther shot. But average engagement, I want to say, is 59 yards stateside. Yeah, this seems a tad overkill for 59 yards. (laughs) Well, and then also, like, beyond that 59, like, I could see where something with a little much, I mean, this has got a lot of gas, it's not a gas gun, but it's got, you know, a lot of gas. These terms are screwing us up. I know, I'm like (laughs) talking in circles here. But, you know, that might be a little too much oomph where all of a sudden you've got a liability headed downrange if you even if you hit the uh, um you know what you're trying to hit fair fair enough is that, is that is that taken into consideration justin absolutely we always abide by the you know the four basic firearm rules of safety right so again uh know your target beyond you know kind of a 360 degree environment mm-hmm. so when it comes to those gas guns and stuff like so in speaking to a stateside law enforcement sniper type role are they using a two-two-three, like a regular uh, gas gun most, with maybe a low-power variable on top? So or? yes and no. So most agencies for their uh, sniper rifles, they'll probably uh, three-zero-eight uh, bolt gun. Okay. okay. Um, so right now, uh, I know certain local agencies even are going to that gas gun, same caliber. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, and uh, and we didn't really talk about optic on the hunting rifle. It can vary a lot, as it can with the sniper rifles we're talking about here, but. I've seen a lot of them using low low power variables now, like one Absolutely. to sixes. The one to ten, one is, to ten is, is great because um, that's about. I mean, especially considering those distances. But even if you stretch it out to 100, 200 yards or whatever in Net Murphy's Law situation, that's yeah, plenty. Absolutely. Right? I mean, for example, we had an agency down there uh, about a month ago. Um, we were getting their micro dope, so to speak. So again, 100 and in. Um, mm-hmm. We had a target set up at 25, and a lot of the guys were uh, struggling because of the optic they actually selected for that rifle, whether it was a parallax or um, they had too much magnification on low power and things like that. Okay, gotcha. And what's what's a 25-yard sniper scenario even look like? I, I, that's so, not something you normally equate with a sniper. Usually people are thinking, absolutely. oh, it's going to be, they look like, a, to the naked eye, they look like an ant way out there. I mean... So, um, it's going to be very dependent on, you know, your situation. So for example, you may have like a vehicle hide. So you may be set up. So your hide site, I guess your final firing position will be inside that vehicle. Okay. Um, and that vehicle may be parked right on the other side of the street of your target house. So it's fairly close. Yeah. Trying to maneuver inside a vehicle, uh, with this, <laughs> this Barrett here <laughs> Yeah. versus, no. you know, a smaller, you know, more compact gas gun or even a smaller bolt gun with maybe like an 18 inch barrel. Mm-hmm. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's where you're going to see that 25 yard uh, engagement as well. Yeah. Something we talk about too with the hunting rifles now, we sort of laugh to ourselves. Going back to that s- traditional kind of look to hunting rifles and how people are still attached to that, performance wise, some people could even get a great <laughs> advantage, especially in our area, our neck of the woods, to having a low power variable on a hunting rifle. Absolutely. It's going to look weird to a lot of people it because is. because it, you got that AR scope <laughs> on your bolt gun and but when it's a it's an optic that has a point of aim and a little bit of magnification enough magnification that you need to make a ethical shot. Absolutely, and um, you know backed off on you know one power that's really nice to have, especially you know here east of the Mississippi where most of your engagement is going to be a little bit you know closer in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you look at like one of our more popular scopes is a two and a half to ten. So, your your top end mag is the same. You're just gaining the low end versatility, right? 
but aesthetically it just looks a little different. Right. So how about, all right, everybody wants to know about situations where people are going to use the big honking gun, right? The big old bolt gun like <laughs> we have here in front of us, Barrett Emrad. What is... What does that look like? Why? Why do we even? Ha- why do they have something like this? Why wouldn't they go out with uh, something smaller, more regular looking, like uh, one of the guns we have that Mark and I built with Isaiah Curtis? Uh, we got a six-five Creedmoor over here in a KRG Bravo chassis. This one's mine. It looks kind of sniperish. Looks a little tactical. It's got Absolutely. got some stuff going on with it. Why? Why do they? What's Absolutely. Up with this thing? So what you can. For the majority of work, you can actually accomplish, like, uh, on the military side of sniping, the sniping side of it. On the military side, a lot of it you can accomplish with this particular setup. Okay. Uh, but, again, there's a lot of crossover between, like, shooting is shooting. We always kind of talk about that. So a lot of application that Nick brought up earlier about recoil management, spotting those rounds and things like that translates into, again, kind of the sniping world. Because if you don't have a spotter, you need to, you know, spot and see where those rounds are going. Gotcha. So that extra added weight. And, again... Uh, calibers, right? So normally they'll have the bigger calibers. Um, it's a lot easier to shoot those bigger calibers. Uh, they're a little bit more forgiving, um, you know, doing with a bullet coefficient and things like that um, versus those small caliber rounds. So when you do have to make that, you know, thousand yard shot um, shooting, you know, a 215 grain bullet versus like a 140 grain bullet, you have higher BC and things like that, less wind deflection and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and again, that's kind of why we go with this bigger platform. Yeah. Are you always hoofing something like this, or when you're a sniper, do you kind of get your um, pick every time you go out? Like I carried it a couple times, and I did not like it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, was uh, that the the weight mostly? Just ma- like... mainly the weight, and it's very cumbersome. Okay. Uh, this one in particular that Barrett Emrad, when you buy it, comes with a couple of different barrel options, right? Yes, I believe so. Um, this is the Barrett Emrad uh, recently uh, SOCOM Special Operations Command. Uh, they just went to this particular uh, rifle uh, platform. And okay. uh, like 308, 300 Norma. Um, I can't, because again, different um, entities within the military, I believe, chose different calibers. Oh, okay. um, I don't think it's the same across the board. Uh, don't quote me on that. But it's actually really nice because you see this extended uh, and large magazine weld here. To overcome that, you can shoot like a small 6.5 Creedmoor out of it, which this is actually chambered in that. Or again, like Nick was saying, you can shoot those larger 30 calibers as well. Okay. Um, so it has that. It's just a proprietary magazine. So yeah. uh, you really don't even use like an inch and a half of the 6.5 Creedmoor magazine. It's just wasted space to take up that void. Yeah, I um, feel like if you're going to go out yeah. with a 6.5 Creedmoor, why not just take a smaller, lighter, <laughs> easier to carry around Absolutely. rifle? Maybe that's just me. You know, yeah. I'm not the guy who uh, selected. Well, a weapon system like this where you can actually switch out the cartridges that you're using, uh, being able to screw on a 338 Lapua barrel and and run it like that can be super be- or beneficial to a department because you might have a situation where you need some hard target interdiction. Where you might you, have barriers and things like yeah, that. Uh, where yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, the guy's you know, AR-15 in the back of his squad car just ain't going to go through. Well, this is your special purpose weapon at that point. Yep. Got it. How often have you just like had to shoot at a vehicle to just take out the vehicle? <laughs> Not as often as you think. It's more of like, like a defensive situation. I like um, I like that the answer wasn't never. Yeah, <laughs> so, not as often as you'd think. So, for example, um, like the uh, the uh, the Barrett, not the Barrett Emerald, but you think of like the you know the fifty cal Barrett. Right? Oh sure. Oh yeah, um, the Barrett. Yeah. So, um, more of like a defensive type situation. I know uh, some. Uh, agencies out there, um, even overseas, would use that in a defensive position with a low-power variable, actually V1 to 6. Oh, because wow. uh, tracking a moving vehicle uh, with something, what is this, 4.5 to 27 versus like a 1 to 6. You have a lot more situational awareness. You feel uh, the views greater. So, again, um, you're not actually getting lost inside that tube, which and is And really an engine nice. block is decently big. That's yeah, a good size yeah. target. So, I, I, feel, I feel like that's, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're not you know, you just kinda, hitting some bitty steel plate. You're like, no, we're trying to hit the engine yeah yeah Yeah. and take out one of six cylinders i like i like that yeah these things are pretty cool so in general and and maybe maybe it's just across the board kind of like we've been talking like what is a military sniper carrying or does it just depend on it it kind of depends you've probably seen the uh, the evolution of military rifles right mm-hmm. oh, yeah. um, so even now they're actually switching over platforms calibers and things like that which i think nick just brought up so they're carrying a couple of different things so example when i was in we were and then since this <laughs> since i was in they're actually changing things okay so yep. for example when i was um in 10th group we were actually fielded a uh the um 300 win mag 
and then also a 308 gas gun, um, okay. the M110. Mm-hmm. Mission dependent, situational dependent, you know, those were basically our two go-tos. Even the the 300 wind mags, more than capable of reaching out to distance. Um, a little bit longer, a little bit more cumbersome. So carrying it up and down mountains all the time, you're going to get caught on stuff, you're going to get hung up, um, and you're not quite as uh, mobile. <laughs> yeah. Um, versus the gas gun, again, if you need to, it's uh, light enough, uh, compact enough, you can shoulder fire it as well. Oh, yeah. Is your so, wind mag is still in a an, like an M24 variant platform? So no. Um, yes and no. Okay. Uh, depending on, uh, I know the Marines, for example, right. they'll kind of stick with a little bit more uh, traditional stuff, or at least they did when okay. I was in. Um, but now it was the uh, it was the Remington. The, what am I trying to say? Um, what chassis was that in? Oh, uh, um, I, I know. Think of it. Isn't not the Kdex chassis? Is it? Yeah, very similar to. It's that. very okay. Yep, yeah, yeah. Yep. Hmm. So that chassis um, had. All the real estate on there for, you know, all your accessories and things like that. Um, the uh, buttstock, you know, adjustable comb, adjustable length of pull. Um, because sad to say, like, that gun wasn't yours. So you came to a team, you went off a team, uh, that gun stayed on the team. So, again, oh, you can yeah, switch yeah. it up person to person, things gotcha. like that. Gotcha. Customize um, it. For to example, um, it. myself and Nick probably going to have different length of pull. <laughs> <laughs> a little <laughs> bit. A little so <laughs> I feel like... Nick hasn't gotten the chance to go into his full-on, you know, competition PRS gun just yet. But I feel like we make fun of those guns all the time <laughs> because they're gigantic and, you know, Nick's is painted in a cool color, you know, but sometimes they're like goofy colors and whatever. Right. Um, I'm like that Kermit the Frog meme going, I wonder if the PRS guys are making fun of my gun right now, too. They probably are. But we, we, we goof on those guns a lot because of how gigantic they are and, and purpose-built, and, you know, they would ne- you know, they'd be so difficult to use hunting and all that. But a lot of the stuff that you do to those guns to make them shoot really well, it seems like what Justin's d- describing here, at least with guns like these, not necessarily like that urban sniper, they're doing the same stuff, but then they also have to just end up hoofing it around like hunters do. Right. With their rifle. So where a hunter is like, oh, well, I got to have it be super lightweight because I'm going to have to carry it a lot. And PRS guy is like, well, I can, I can afford to go super heavyweight because I'm not going to move a whole lot on my stage. The snipers are like, oh, well, I really want to have all the nice stuff, but it's going to get pretty heavy, but I'm just going to grunt it out anyway. Right. <laughs> well, so you'll notice, like, if you if you look at a lot of sniper rifles, especially like what Justin was just talking about, what they were using, um, they were in chassis. And the chassis system has a lot of the same functions and features that a competition gun has. And a lot of that is is because the competitive shooters will borrow ideas uh, from the sniper community. Then the sniper community will borrow ideas from the competition community. And that, that just kind of keeps on going back and forth. You get that in all, um, in all forms. You know, it's a lot of three-gun shooters, a lot, a lot of guys, those guys are door kickers. You know, they take that information back, what worked in the three-gun game, because I take it back, and that's going to work in the field as well. Right. So the targets might be different, but ultimately what's going on when you're pulling the trigger all kind of needs to be the same. You need to hit the target. So one of the things that I like about this in particular, Mark, yeah, if you don't uh, mind sliding that it. thing out so there the folks go. on the... Uh, yeah. Oh, look at that. Oh, sorry, look Nick, I can't neon. get it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, I wish I... You ever just wish you could just Go back in time? <laughs> nope. I'm sure MC Ryan will... Edit that out. No, Mark, there's no edits. There's no redos <laughs> on this podcast. If it came out of your mouth, it's... <laughs> it just hangs there. Yeah. <laughs> Haunts you for the rest of your life. Haunting. Um, so this particular rifle, um, it's a Defiance Deviant Action, um, Proof Research, Heavy Barrel. This is their competition contour, 26 inches. Uh, it's a six Creedmoor, so... It is a six millimeter. It's not one of the super low recoiling variants. I did not opt to put all the weight kits in here. Again, what my my concern is not necessarily to make the rifle as heavy as possible. I want the rifle to balance as well as possible. Okay. And in its current configuration, the gun. So this isn't you attempting well. to make it really heavy. No, this no, is I, not that. It, if I wanted to make it heavier, I could add probably another six pounds to this. Nick's thing. thinking, oh, huh, you want me to make this <laughs> you thing heavy? See heavy? You yeah. ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> but in the process of doing this, I mean, it's got a heavy buttstock. It's uh, um, and but I did have to put weights in the forend, the entire length, and then I have one weight on the side, and I actually put that in a kind of a strategic position because, like the grips here you'll see that they have a kind of a bubble in the grip mm-hmm. um it, it it's a palm swell um i have a, essentially using those weights as a palm swell so when i reach my hand forward on the on the forend yeah. if i grip in the gun it fills that palm really well and it just 
just a little bit more stability for me. Yeah. That's one thing I feel like is kind of lacking, if I'm being honest on this Barrett here. We got this giant, pretty heavy-looking gun, mm-hmm. and we got a little AR pistol grip <laughs> right. on it. I just don't know. It, something about it doesn't quite match up. Nice thing about this is you can just peel that off and stick one of those on there That's if you right. wanted to. That's right. Justin, what would you do? You got, what do you guys prefer? I prefer the more vertical versus the best wet. So yeah. Okay. For me, ergonomically, it's just it, it's just a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's what you see a lot of the competition guys doing, and and again, the a lot of the hunting community, the long range hunters and stuff like that, they're starting to go with that more vertical. A lot of crossover between competition, military, LE, and the hunting side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's it's it, again, it comes down to like Justin said before, uh, we're all shooting, so we yeah. all have to be able to hit the target, regardless yeah. of what that target is. So, and that's a big thing about how I have this set up. Uh, also, this has got a, a mirage shield on it. Yeah. I was I was gonna ask what that was. Is that uh, I'm guessing it probably also adds weight. They probably didn't make it out of carbon in order to reduce weight. They probably made it out of just what is that made out of? Aluminum or steel or something? Uh, it is aluminum. Oh, okay. Um, and so it's yeah, it's it's not super heavy, but it does mitigate some of the barrel mirage that comes off there if you're you know pumping a lot of rounds through this gun just to get it hot. And if I'm shooting super long range, that disturbance in my image can for one throw off impacts, and two, it makes it harder to identify like where you're holding on the target if the target mm-hmm. image is blurry. Um, but the <laughs> actually funny enough the primary reason why I put that there is that when I'm extending my hand forward and grabbing onto the gun I got that palm swell with the weight and it allows me to even put my thumb over top of the barrel and if I wanted to I can even squeeze the hell out of it without actually pushing down my barrel oh sure oh yeah yeah so free floated yep. essentially right yeah um, also I don't know how I guess that barrel's maybe not getting super hot but it would prevent you from if you it won't get super hot but like the Vortex Rampage last year, Jim C runs that match a little bit different than a lot of match directors do. You had we last year we had two man squads. So uh, doing two man squads, you would shoot a stage, and then your partner would shoot the stage, and you come off, and then your partner who just shot yeah. would then shoot the next stage first. So that barrel had just got twelve rounds on it, and now you put another twelve rounds oh, on wow. it. Oh so, wow! Yeah, um, and it was hot as hell there. So those barrels are cooking. Yeah. I have more questions that, that after this one, but I, I just want to get this one out while I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Let's let's put it this way, uh, Nick. Why would you? Or may, maybe the answer isn't going to be uh, why you wouldn't, but why you would, or something like that. But but why would you not shoot a competition with this Barrett here, and, and oh, you would with this gun? That's actually a good and question, Justin, Jim. Why would you head a field in the sandbox with this gun, and not Nick's competition? PRS style. The way they're gun. set up currently. This current uh, yeah. configuration. Yeah, why not? Okay. Yeah, as is. I mean, I know caliber is going to be a big one. You probably don't want to try and uh, do whatever you guys have to do over there with a little six millimeter. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you want to you want to start this off, Nick? Yeah, sure. All right. So first of all, I have shot a Barrett MRAD, not in a match, but I've shot them through like PRS-type stages before. Oh, okay. Um, this gun actually does balance out pretty well, not, not as well as mine because mine's been essentially edited and customized to do that better where it would lack for me is probably somewhere in the trigger pull and some of the ergonomics uh the gun has to be very comfortable so that you can wield it properly Uh, so i like one of the things that's really nice about a chassis and i mean this is obviously a chassis as well but um is they're so customizable for the user it's one of the reasons why i like to use chassis if i'm ever like teaching somebody how to shoot because i grab my gun that is in a chassis and we can set it up for that user i mean i got i took my eight-year-old niece shooting here a couple of months ago and we I mean, she's shooting a 22 out to 280 yards and shooting wow. an eight inch plate uh, i was able to do that with my rifle because it's in a chassis and i was able mm. to shorten the length of pull as much as possible adjust the comb to the proper height for everything so that's that the, comfort and fit is such a big deal. I mean, essential. I remember just starting out deer hunting with I had I think my Remington Game Master seventy six hundred pump aught six right where the scope was probably too high, the gun, the stock was too long, and I mean you you I mean literally you're fighting the rifle and working really hard almost to get like a brief sight picture. Shooting you know? a, shooting a well set up rifle can actually be completely comfortable even if it's even if it's a little bucky it can be totally comfortable you can just shoot it all you got to do is you know you you manage the recoil but you don't have to fight it it's not a drag to have to do well i would if you shoot a a rifle that's not set up well even if it's a 223 something like that you're just you're like yeah like yeah not a good experience and i'd go we're kind of side 
track in here, but I'd go as far to say, you know, a lot of us are pa- like passionate about the hunting and the shooting sports and want to share that and pass it along, like you're talking about, mm-hmm. Nick, which you're doing it right. If somebody had an experience where, like, I don't know, it was, it was heavy, I couldn't hold it, I couldn't see through the thing, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. That might turn a person off. They're like, yeah, shooting's not for me. Right. When it really was just a bad rifle setup. It's a, bad, a good way yeah. to start bad habits, too. I mean, if I yeah. just take that same eight-year-old niece and put her behind a 300 wisdom, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, even, I wouldn't, even I wouldn't do that. But she'll probably never want to shoot again, though. I mean, it's just an example. I mean, people, oh, there's yeah. a lot of people that find it funny to, like, take a first-time shooter that's and horrible. put a lightweight 12-gauge in their hands and say, all right, let's see. And then they're like, ha, 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 you know? <laughs> uh, you know, that's, that's crap. I mean, that's how you... For one, if that person's ever going to shoot again, they're going to have a whole lot of horrible habits. Mm-hmm. And second of all, you, you probably just turn somebody off of shooting. Yeah. Oh, here, here. Let's uh, let's uh, start your shooting. Uh, so you're scared of this thing, right? Yeah. You know. Oh, okay. One thing, getting back to this uh, question here that we didn't mention before. So, Justin, this gun has a suppressor on the end of it. This bear. Here. Yes. Do a lot of sniper rifles have suppressors on the end of them? Do you find? Yes. Um. Is, absolutely. Is that pretty par for the course? It, it is, and not so much for like you know uh, sound reduction and things like that. Yes, that does come into play, but also uh, signature reduction. So mm-hmm. muzzle flash and things like that. Maybe you're shooting in and around vegetation. Uh, all that muzzle blast again can be kind yeah, of mitigated. I'm guessing a little if bit. you're in a hide with a spotter, the spotter's going to appreciate it too. Absolutely. So with the sound mitigation and then uh, signature. Reduction yeah. as well, and, and then so like you're directional talking- too is a huge thing, yep, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, gun goes off with a can on; it's harder to figure out what direction that came from. Absolutely. What about you're talking about muzzle blast too? Because I know I've shot you know different breaks and different environments every now and again, and like if you're in like a really light, dusty environment that like kicks up all that dirt, is this helping? Is a suppressor helping mitigate that as well? Like, is that going to do that less or no? Um, a little bit, yeah little bit so you're still going to get obviously you're always going to have muzzle blast it's right i mean you yeah. can't really overcome that yeah. but then again kind of going back to the hunting side of things uh i feel like a hunting rifle should have a break on it the reason being is because again um helping with that recoil mitigation and everything like that it's going to make when you guys were talking about comfortability and things like that um that felt recoil is going to be mitigated a little bit with a decent break on it and if you have that you know eight year old <laughs> all right with that 300 wisdom maybe a break might make that a little bit more comfortable mm-hmm. for her to shoot because yeah. yeah like a, a nick that was kind of i was getting there because you don't have a suppressor on your comp no. gun not many people do no it's, for their competitions yeah their, it, yeah the suppressor thing used to be was like a big deal. Like when back in the early days of you know tactical field matches or PRS, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and the reason for that is because it's it's pleasant. You know, when you don't have to wear ear pro or you don't like if you stand next to somebody while they're shooting, you don't blow out your eardrums. That's uh, that's wonderful. But the downside of a suppressor is it does not reduce recoil nearly as much as a good muzzle. Brake. A lot of heat coming off those as well. A lot of heat coming off. So I put a barrel mirage shield on here to stop the barrel mirage. Oh, I if you you put me. a can on there, uh, I mean, you're talking like double or triple the amount of mirage. Yeah. Uh, that's why I've always used one of those um, Coltac uh, yeah. suppressor wraps. But even still, yeah. it'll it'll just cook around it after you shoot enough. Right. Yeah. I mean, even, and yeah, I think if you're using a suppressor, you need a suppressor cover, period. Um, but yeah, even that, it, it you can't stop it altogether. It, it, they can only work for so long before yeah. the thing just becomes so dang hot. But okay, so your gun is a bit more customizable in how it's set up. You've also gone in and customized it yeah. uh, to... I mean, everything about this is purpose-built for you. And Justin mentioned before, when you're a sniper, usually you're going in, you join the unit, the gun is part of the unit, you kind of grab it off the rack and have to figure it out real fast and make it sort of fit you. But it's got to be able to adapt to... 5.8 sniper dude that comes in and 6.8 sniper dude that comes Absolutely. in. And so they're probably making it more of like a one-size-fits-all. And Absolutely. You know I mean? And kind of going back to what Nick said, there's a lot of crossover. Some competition guys are going back to the military law enforcement side of things and, you know, vice versa. That being said, there's a, you can look at these two rifles. There's a lot of crossover. Um, we already talked about the, uh, the suppressor on there. Um, really, the only other difference mainly would be, one, the caliber, which we already talked on and touched on. Um, but again, going back to that real estate, Nick has that heat shield on there, but you can also probably put a shroud on there, I'm guessing. Yeah, um, So absolutely. if you wanted to put a clip on in front, you can do so. A clip um, on for? Um, so first, a uh, clip on night vision or thermals and things like that. Um, thermals are becoming really big, uh, even on the hunting side of things with, you know, um, predator control or hogs and things like that. 
having that real estate to add on, you know, those uh, clip-on night vision thermals or laser illuminators and things like that. But really looking at them, they're pretty similar um, because, again, there's a lot of that crossover as yeah. well. Aside from, okay, so we, the suppressor thing, is so that one's got a yep. big break on it, and it's chambered in 6 millimeter. Is there anything else that is preventing you from okay and the and say you put a say you put a rail out front there you could clip on night vision something like that is there anything else that's preventing you from taking this a field as a sniper is it yes. is it too heavy for you as is like you're you're okay with a kind of heavy gun yeah, but not absolutely. like a full on this Barrett uh, Mrad still probably outweighs that rifle <laughs> oh you um, think this is heavier I think so is it it's it might be close this is about twenty five it's going to be I don't know I'd have to. It'll be close. They're in the realm of each other, no doubt. So, wow. uh, but that being said, honestly, the trigger. What do you have right now for a trigger? Uh, well, Ounces? Uh, it it actually used pounds. to be. I've reverted myself back for for a lot of reasons, which we can get into if you want. But um, I've actually cranked that up to about a pound. Maybe a pound? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so, again, um, when you're talking about competition side versus... It was about eight ounces, though. <laughs> so, that be, we'll, we'll use eight ounces. <laughs> yeah. So, pretty light. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you breathe on it, you barely touch it. As soon as you place your finger anywhere near that thing, <laughs> um, it's going off. Look so, at it wrong. Yeah. So, going back to knowing your equipment um, and things like that. So, uh, the trigger, the poundage is probably pretty big. Um, a lot of the guns uh, on the military side of things might be set up around that three-pound mark, give or take a little bit. Okay. Definitely don't want that round going off when, you know, obviously you don't intend to do so. Um, But again, uh, the trigger pull weight is going to be another big difference. And also the trigger itself. Um, There's a lot of triggers out there that work great. There's a lot of, you know, reputable manufacturers. Some may be susceptible a little bit more to uh, the certain environment, whether it's dust um, and things like that, maybe moisture. You know, possibilities are endless. Uh, The trigger is uh, one of those uh, things, again, where I might want not want to take that rifle out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be a big thing, I think, um, and I can't speak from experience by any means. However, I would say that the highly tuned competition rifle might be a little bit more finicky in um, sure, yeah, yeah, in in less than perfect environments. Because you, uh, most competition shooters, uh, <laughs> I would probably say across the board, hand load. Yeah, almost most of them. I mean, most of them, a good majority, unit dependent on the military side of things. You know, saying a few uh, aren't hand loading. Right. <laughs> when Nick was talking about, you know, being finicky and things like that, uh, we're talking about whether it's jump and things like that, uh, chamber pressure, uh, these may have those tolerances built in mm-hmm. sure. um, from the manufacturer, where those, that's actually a custom rifle. Some people, you know, take around, they build a gun around the, you know, the caliber versus the other way. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems kind of like the sniper rifle is similar in a lot of ways to a, custom competition gun but they just had to make it more one size fits most and also more adaptable to kind of any environment absolutely like if you stripped out if you stripped out some of the super personalized details and you made it kind of ah, uh, yeah we'll, we'll make this a little bit more applicable to kind of anyone who picks it up absolutely that's kind of what that's kind of what you got i don't want to say reliability issues or anything like that but more more consistency mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm Mark, I already know the reason I didn't ask you is because I already know all the reasons why you'd say you. Wouldn't you know, take I can't this. talk about my sniping, Jim. <laughs> I already um, know all the reasons why you I didn't do it. it. Can't, can't speak to it into like the field. Oh, or wait, yeah, what were we going to say, Jim? I, I interrupted. Well, you. actually, I hear these guys over here. They're discussing the oh, with some of the other has, things. Justin's um, little sniper rifle. He's <laughs> got a cool uh, folding buttstock. Yeah, so it is like you know eight feet long, um, but. <laughs> <laughs> You might be able to, you know, mitigate some of that length by, again, the folding buttstock and things like that. So when you are, you know, carrying this thing up and down um, mountains or, you know, uh, moving in and around urban terrain, um, maybe having that folded buttstock and then, again, collapsed while you have it in your pack or something like that. Again, uh, this would not be maybe my primary firearm, you know, when I'm deployed, if you will. I've never been a sniper, Justin. So I've never had to carry around a Barrett in some mountain or city overseas i am a bit skeptical as to whether or not folding that stock really even does anything not portable by much but again kind of going back to when you uh you know um dave right yeah ounces equal pounds type of thing again you can kind of take that same mantra and then go with like length as well sure you know kind of inches add up and things like that so again um any way you can kind of mitigate some of that uh overall length yeah. Um, so, 
or even getting into the the gun case itself. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 That's true. What are you reaching for more? Like just from, and it probably depends on what kind of, I guess, situations are arising more often, but are you going for the gas gun or the bolt gun? Uh, my personal experience was the gas gun. Okay. Just because, again, the terrain kind of dictated that. Mm-hmm. So uh, the gas gun, you know, easily capable of reaching out to whatever distance I needed to. But again, it's a little bit more maneuverable, you know, in and around vehicles as well. Mm-hmm. So A little bit more, yeah, maneuverable, yeah, versatile. Yeah, like, oh, lighter, I can, you know... Um, shoulder fired a lot easier <laughs> right. uh, and manipulate it that way versus, you know, um, something as unwielding as this. You're not really going to be shoulder firing uh, or shooting this offhand. <laughs> you, you actually, you, you mentioned the moving, maneuvering in and around vehicles. I, we shoot out of cars and stuff in competition a lot. One of the downsides of a bolt gun is the fact that when you pull the trigger and you need to take another shot, you got to rack that bolt. Oh, and if sure. you're squeezed into a tight space, like in the back seat of a car, you might not have enough room there, and you have to get out of position to you know get a new round. Oh in. yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's uh, I can I can certainly see where the gas going to come in there. Yeah. What I was getting at earlier, though, Mark, is I was, I was thinking to myself, I know all the reasons already, pretty much why you wouldn't take one of these into the field hunting wise right but i was going to direct our attention over to over to some guns that we actually already have that we oh. built mm-hmm. well i can say that nick and i built mine yours just you know you paid a guy um <laughs> but these guns over here I'm just gonna hold, i really don't have a rebuttal to that, that hold, that's exactly what happened oh, i'm gonna hold mine up see i can at least actually pick it up with one arm it's not easy but i can pick it up with one <laughs> arm while it's on the table now right here we've got something that i genuinely feel is a good do-all for the most part. Yeah. Would it be a mountain gun? No, because it still weighs 12 pounds. I mean, it, it, it's a, a preferred... More. It's, it's more probably, than 12 pounds. Eh, 14. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're going to post the weight. We're going to post... <laughs> we're going to weigh this thing. It's not more than 14. Uh, it, it, maybe it is, but okay. It's probably about. It's probably is it a mountain gun? Maybe not. No. Not my ideal mountain gun, but what did we hunt with it? Both you and I have agreed. Yeah. Well, I did hunt with it. You did hunt with it. That's right. We did. Yeah. We actually, and you hoofed it around a good bit out there in Nebraska on that coyote hunt. Yeah. I mean, I can speak from personal experience. Did it work? Yes. Could I do it again? Absolutely. You needed a sling. Did I? Did I love carrying it? No. Yeah. If we had had a sling, that would have made it probably quite a bit. Yeah. Like just having an accessory would have made it a, a way better experience for yeah. sure. So uh, that would have been a difference maker. We didn't have that. I think we brought one, but then it ended up right. brought like we just you know and we messed up. Could hunt with it. It doesn't mm-hmm. look dramatically modern and weird. It no. has some semblance of a, of a traditional shape to it. Absolutely. I've shot in competition style stages and stuff like that with Nick out at the range. Yep. Right? We, I've shot it off rooftops and off of a you know thing that looks like the Tetris piece or something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, shot it off the some barricade. of that stuff before the barricade. Right. So... It's done that. You know, the Tetris. And Justin, at one point, I saw him look over and point at it during this podcast and said, you could use that as a sniper. Yeah. So therefore, it's a sniper rifle <laughs> uh, as well. But I think that, anyway, what I'm getting at, though, is that you can kind of make somewhat of a hybrid of all these these right. different things. It's kind of going to be maybe a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, I don't know, but... Well, we got something here. That's I'd be at least curious, sort of close. And I don't know if Justin can speak to this or not, but like I would imagine that possibly like not even that many years ago, what Jim has there right there might have been a pretty high speed long range Absolutely. sniper gun. Absolutely. Um because we've talked about, you know, the evolution of rifles across the board. You were talking like jack of all trades thing. Um, I know people have tried to do that with with rifles, with optics, and things like that, and it's really hard to do <laughs> and do it right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is. You yeah, know, because I'm sure there's things. If I were going to just like full on get into PRS, I'd want to change about this gun. Or if I were going to like, you know, is Red Dawn, and I was going to be part of Wolverines <laughs> and the sniper team and Wolverines, I'd probably want to change some stuff about this. Or if it was going to be just hunting, I'd want to change some stuff about this. Right. But kind of, I'm like kicking around the idea of doing all of them, I could kind of do all of them with oh, yeah. this. Absolutely. Yeah. And looking at the, the table and the array of guns that are here, there's there's definitely that overlap as well. Um, yeah, you can see little uh, hints of everything we've talked about across all of them. Even with the hunting rifles now, they have that adjustable, you know, uh, comb height with, you know, built into the buttstocks and things Oftentimes, like that. Oftentimes, yep. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and sometimes that's a it's a consideration. Do I want that adjustability, or does you know a stock that has that higher cheek comb but is more fixed, but you're probably going to shave a little weight by not having the adjustable? You know, you're kind of weighing weighing a couple things there. I could probably argue that both ways. And and again, like on the hunt side, like maybe I'm just a pansy. I like a lighter weight gun, but I'm also like I want to be able to execute that long range shot. And I want to be able to practice to uh, execute all the fundamentals that go along with that shot. But I'm really hoping just to shoot once. Yeah. So if everything goes right and I can have that bullet hit where it needs to go, I mean, obviously you have to have the ability to follow up at the same time. But maybe like the level of precision that you might need at a PRS match of, oh, I need to spot my miss. Was it? Or even like, I mean, heck, half the time you guys are spotting your hits. You know, like, was my, it was a hit on a tiny plate, but was it the left edge of the plate? You know, maybe a little bit less critical. And I'm not trying to minimize the fact that you're shooting at an animal or something (laughs) like that. Like, oh, you just hit him anywhere because that's not what I'm saying at all. But just a different set of needs there. Right. No, you're you're right. A, A lot of it comes down to determining what level of precision is necessary for the application. That's a good way to put it, Nick. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's a fair statement. I mean, there's a reason why my competition rifle is essentially, I mean, it shares a lot of characteristics of, let's say, like an F-class rifle, something, you know, mm. because we're looking for that little edge. If if my gun was consistently, every day, capable of a half minute of accuracy, I'd be tickled to death. I know guys that would not be happy with uh, it ever crossing over a quarter minute, though. Mm, and yeah. in order to have that kind of type of consistent level of precision, you need... I mean, you you need to put a lot into that gun, and yep. it needs to be customized and made to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, if if your requirement was, let's say, minute of man, um, there's a lot of different things you can use, uh, and you can make it less custom built for an individual, and you can make it usable by many, and and still serve the purpose properly. Yeah, you know, Nick, wanna, hold on, I just want to mention Nick brought up. F class, which we don't have an example necessarily of an F class rifle well, here. Well, that's because it's for weirdos. <laughs> okay, now you're going to wish that you could cut things out because I was going to plug the podcast that we did with the Ian Clem, and where we talk all about F class and we have all. It's cool a phenomenal rifles website. Up no, F class is really cool. It's one of the more just, popular. The only reason I call them weird is because I'm jealous that they're smarter than me. <laughs> um, Ian is. But phenomenally smart. But one thing I was going to get at too is is the mobility aspect of it. Mark, you brought up having to sh- you know hopefully shoot once, maybe twice in an animal or something like that when you're in a hunting situation, and the level of accuracy needed. We all agree that you need a, a high level of accuracy out of the rifle, precision in the shot, and um, and all that stuff has to come together in order to execute a proper shot. I think the the one unique thing is though is on your hunt, even let's say you have to make a follow up shot, two shots, whole hunt, right? Right. Where you go to a PRS match. You have to account for 200 rounds over that PRS match. You're a sniper out in who knows where. You probably got more than two rounds on you when you head out about. Yeah, you yeah. May I shoot hope so. a little more than two rounds. Four, right? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, you know, you sh- sometimes you might not shoot any. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's good. Oh, that is too. like hunting then. <laughs> it is actually. I was going to say, uh, it, it, what they do is, is it is still hunting. There's a Jesse Ventura of. quote in there, I think. Have you seen the Predator? <sighs> no. Wait, oh. no. Wait, Wait, what is it? Which, what do you say? Oh, I, I can't do it. But <laughs> Damn it. I've hunted oh, man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Muckenhern does it so good. <laughs> um, but what I'm getting at is that in in the hunting situation, a lot of times mobility is key. Exactly, and so therefore, even you're, for that, you're sacrificing. Shot. Yes, and you're sacrificing some of the weapon stability. Yes, and which is a big thing. Um. For both these applications we talked about with Nick and Justin, the, the ability for it to be a stable platform, for it to fit you, like all this stuff that's going to help you make more, like make better shots more consistently over over like a arduously, usually long, mentally taxing situation. Stage after stage after stage after stage. Or like baking in the sun and just staring at who knows what and hoping that your eventual target ever comes by or that you see something, right? Because, like, you're going to have That actually sounds days. like hunting as well. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so there's that. But I'm not, saying, I'm not saying hunting isn't, you know, arduous sometimes, but the weapon stability there is so important. Yeah. You know, and then and here you're usually willing to give some up in order to just have it be mobile so you can get to yeah. more places, get over that next hill, all that stuff. But, uh, 
But yeah, and the other thing too that I was thinking to myself as well is like sometimes people talk about an accurate rifle, you know, and they might think of like this gun over here, Nick's gun, or this giant Barrett here as being like more accurate than a hunting rifle. And hunting rifles are usually a lot lighter. And sometimes I'm sitting there scratching my head like, you sure that seven pound rifle isn't as accurate as one of these other guns? Like, are you sure it's not a half-minute gun? Oh, I guess the driver. Or is it also just, you know, yeah, like you said, the driver. I mean, anybody can sit behind Nick's 25-pound rifle, and as long as Nick dials the turrets and stuff like that, it's generally a really easy gun to just Mm -hmm. put on the target, pull the trigger, because the trigger's not also, you know, that heavy. Even at one pound, it's not that heavy. Boom, you hit it. You get something that's a little bit more lightweight like this. It's moving around a lot. You got to get situated behind it just right. You're going to be a little more worried about how snappy it might feel. 6.5 Creedmoor, not exactly, but your 300 wisdom for certain. And it's harder to actually see, too, like on the target, the accuracy that maybe the rifle is capable of. Because, like you said, the driver just isn't quite part of the gun the way they could be if it were... You know, had some of these more features. Or you're almost you're more. almost like more part of the gun in a way. You're having more influence. You're closer to, yeah, the explosion. Or shootability is important, definitely. I mean, that's a. I mean, that's probably a made up word, probably. But <laughs> shootability. <laughs> I mean, the ability to get behind that gun and to be able to shoot it well, regardless of like what position you're in, how comfortable you are. That's important. I mean that. A lighter weight gun's going to be harder to shoot. I mean, repeatable over and over and over. It doesn't Absolutely. mean that the gun itself is not as, you know, precise. Yeah. Right. Um, there is there is some things about, you know, barrel contour and barrel length and stuff that definitely plays a role in how repeatably precise something is. Mm-hmm. However. Yeah, for example, you're not going to take, you know, a small sporter barrel into a, one of those competitions and see how long that lasts up for, yeah, you know, right. going back to your accuracy. Be cooked yeah. real quick. You have to shoot, yeah, 10 rounds in short succession. It's just not going to happen. But for two rounds, maybe, mm-hmm. or one round, it over, might be over dead on. Over the course of a week. Yeah, I mean, it might be <laughs> yeah. absolutely dead on. So I feel like we keep trying to come up with all these reasons why, like, hunting rifles are badass, but then every time we were saying those, we're like, oh, yeah, well, actually, snipers do that, too. They just do it with a way heavier gun. So um, <laughs> right. I think they're all badass, Jim. They are. They're That's guns. True. Okay. Well, we just talked about a lot of guns. What a fun day. Anything else? I- no, I yeah, that's pretty amazing that we get to do that. That's pretty awesome. For the listeners out there, what's your long range setup looking like, and what do you use it for mostly? If you're if you're hunting with it, if it's more of a precision gun, doesn't have to be again. Long range hunting doesn't necessarily need to be a thousand yards or something like that. But if you have a more precision oriented hunting rifle, what's it like? Is your emphasis on lightweight, or are you like Nick, where it's got to be perfectly balanced? You don't care if it's fourteen pounds, you know, and and other stuff out there too. You got a competition rifle. Maybe you're listening. And you've got uh, the latest, greatest in military or law enforcement sniper rifle that your unit just got. Shout it out in the comments below if you're watching on YouTube or uh, over on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'd love to hear it. What do you guys think? Awesome. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. All right. Fun talk. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Bye. All right. That'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation Podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show, maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released, so that way you can go back, find these things, Maybe grab a little nugget of information that you could take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.